So this is session two, and uh, this uh, book here, a little booklet written by William Carey. Some of it you may find a little bit difficult to read because it is an older style than what we're used to. But these booklets, uh, the, I don't want these just to sit on your shelf. I, I want you to actually take the time to read these. William Carey got such a burden. He was a cobbler. He was a shoemaker. And when he wrote this book, God spoke to his own heart, and he ended up going to India for 40 years of his life with the purpose of reaching the gospel. And he was a strict and particular Baptist. Strict refers to, again, uh, the, the, the means of, of the Lord's table, uh, who is able to partake. Again, something that we're going to be looking at more in the future because we have given you some books uh, on the Lord's table as well as on baptism. But I think that it's important that we understand that, that if we're going to celebrate these two ordinances, we need to be doing it right. And so there are things that Dad and I have talked about for a number of years um, and some things that I want you to have an understanding of as, as we begin, Lord willing, to look at that in the next session, which will be in April. But this this one again, um, the Lord has used this booklet in the lives of a number of people to go to the foreign mission field. And I'm going to challenge you. It's not, not just about being a, being a foreign missionary. God will never call you to do something that you're not doing here, to do in another country somewhere else. And if you are faithful to him and what he calls you to do, where you are planted, you let God move your heart. And it may be that you do end up working with somebody like the Glory Project or with whoever, printing ministries, sending Bibles to pastors for free. I, I don't know what the Lord has in store for any of us. But right now, this is where he wants us to be on March the 2nd, 2024. The second book is this one here, which is actually some of what we're going to cover today. And this will be this will be a short session on church discipline. This is whether you read Spurgeon from 150 years ago, whether you read Steve Lawson, uh, Jay Adams from a Presbyterian perspective uh, actually has... Jay Adams, if you're interested in something deeper than this... Jay Adams is probably the premier author, in my estimation, of information on church discipline, how it's practiced. He's got several books on discipline. Handbook of Church Discipline is one. Uh, the Christian Counselor's Manual is another one. Dare to Discipline um, is, a, is a third. Uh, th those, are all, those are all books. Any books by Jay Adams when it comes to church discipline or the church, I would highly recommend. He was Presbyterian. But in those areas, I believe he was right. And um, so I want to encourage you to take each one of these. And the easiest way to do this when you read through a page or you read through uh, one of the little sermons in here, just tick it off so that you know. It may take you a little while to actually finish this book. But I wanted to show you this book because the Free Grace Bar Broadcaster, by the way, and I, I ordered, uh, this is a past issue, and I actually ordered... Uh, this for everybody to have one. There are a number of different subject topics. Worship, um, 
uh, discipline, sanctification, grace, love. Uh, there are a number, uh, and and each each quarter, Free Grace Broadcaster from Chapel Library puts together this little booklet, and every sermon, and every little blog post, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's in there has to do with just that subject matter. By the way, this is free. Now the past back issues are not if you order 20 of them like I did, or 25. But if you if you get on their mailing list, they will send you this for free every three months. You'll get a packet in the mail from Chapel Library. It's a great, great tool. Lots of great information in here. Okay, on to the lesson. Discipline. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. A lot of a lot of churches err on the side of caution because number one, they either do not understand church discipline or discipline, or they do not want to practice discipline. And a church that does not practice discipline or seek to enact discipline is not a biblical church. I'll just state that for the record. We are called to practice church discipline for the purity of the bride of Christ. The Lord himself says that when he returns, that he will find a bride who has made herself ready. He is talking about his bride, the church. God is not going to come back and find virgins who have not trim their oil lamps and have no oil because they are not prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come for a people who are ready. Now I don't believe, just so there's, there's no misunderstanding, I don't believe for one moment that everybody or that anybody or everybody who is supposed to be in heaven, I believe that every one of them will be there because God doesn't lose a single one. Okay? There won't be anybody who is going to hell who will make the crossover. God will pronounce judgment and it will be final and it will be right and it will be just. Now, having said that though, and we're going to look at, again, we're going to look at this tomorrow in regards to mercy and grace. But I want you to understand something. We as human beings are never given the right, never given the right to rejoice in the death of the wicked. We do not have the right to even rejoice when our enemy falls. God makes it very clear that we are to pray for them. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he makes it abundantly clear that not only are we to pray for them, but we are to love our enemies. You see, Old Testament Israel wasn't commanded to love their enemies. We are directly specific command. And so it's important for us to... Sam. So that, that is a good question. Um, I believe, though, that the love that he is speaking about is the same love actually would be in a form of agapao or agape love. It's the same love that I believe we find in Romans where Paul says, I would that I could be accursed to hell if only all of my brethren could be saved. 
Paul had such a love for his own people that he was willing to be accursed from God for all of eternity if every one of the Israelites could go to heaven. If that were even possible. That self-sacrificing love. Now, of course, we know that's not the way it works because it's a personal relationship. But I believe that we should, for example, I don't like watching the news anymore. I'm not political. Um, I, I hate dealing with politics. If, if you if you come up and start talking long-winded to me about politics of some kind, you're going to see my eyes glaze over. I'm probably going to pass out. Now, it's not because I don't know where I stand, because I do know where I stand, and if I wanted to, I could tell you at length where I stand. I'm extremely conservative, and I believe that I'm extremely conservative. Notice I didn't say a particular party, but I am conservative because I believe that politics is a moral issue, a biblical I which is a biblical issue. Okay, And when we are talking about when we are talking about things like politics, instead of remembering that this world is not our home, we're just passing through, we're strangers and pilgrims on our way to a city whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews says. That should be our goal. Always, first and foremost. So I'm not going to lose any more sleep. I've done that too much in my life in the past. I'm not going to lose any sleep on November the 5th. Just tell you right now, I'm going to go to sleep, yep. and I'm going to sleep like a baby, you wake up every two hours screaming hunger and crying for food. No, seriously. I, I'm not going to worry about it because God is still in control. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter who, the, who the party is that's in power. Because ultimately, all the parties do bow down to God. They'll either do it now or they'll do it then. Mike? Um, concerning church discipline, um, in... I had a discussion with somebody about a week ago concerning this believer, and um, churches don't like to practice church discipline because they don't understand the word discipline. And I learned a long time ago in the military, probably when I was an airman, <clears throat> discipline does not mean punishment. Discipline means good order and discipline for the betterment of the organization, the church, such as an athlete, is disciplined in their training for the betterment of to further cause. And that's a misunderstanding in colloquial speaking English, and so people automatically take a negative connotation when they hear that word. And that is a problem in America with language. The other part is, since you, um, you call yourself conservative, this is my joke, on election day, do you just flip a coin? Like yeah, flip, lots, I flip lots. a coin and vote for neither. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two sides of the. They're, they're both two sides of the same corrupt coin. Yes, they are. Gabe. I said, "Will we talk about jokes?" Yeah. Okay. Chapter eighteen. Let's break this down real quick, because I want you to take the time to go through this booklet, and I want you to all of it. We're not going to read through all of it, but I'm going to break it down for you. Matthew 18. Let's set the stage for you real quick. You notice at the beginning of chapter 18 it says what? I'm sorry? At that time. Okay, so what time is he referring to here? He's re... Huh? Well, no. 
No, he's he's actually well he is, but he's actually speaking about what has just occurred in chapter seventeen. It's like right it's like an intermediate like yes. it's almost like a debrief. Yes. Yeah. So what has happened here is Jesus has told of his death and resurrection, and then he deals with the temple tax. They come and the collectors of the two drachma tax come up to Peter and say, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He says, Yes. When he came, comes into the house, Jesus speaks to him and says, What do you think, Simon, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? And he said, From others. Jesus said, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense, go out to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, you open its mouth, there will be a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and yourself. This is the context that Jesus is getting ready to address discipline, the area of discipline. And I personally believe that the entire chapter deals with discipline. And I want to show you how I believe that or why I believe that. Number one, at that time, he's speaking about the offense here. He's just dealt with the tax, an earthly tax. He says, the disciples say to him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, considering what has just happened, why do you think they might ask that? Think about it. We just covered the illustration. Anybody? They're trying to make a point that one's better than the other, or one has a higher authority than the other. Right, but, but why? What just happened? Again, at that time, so we're talking about the previous verses in 17. Violet? Did you say? Oh, okay. They paid the tax to the government. Okay, they paid the tax. Who paid the tax? Peter did. Well, the fish did. Well, yeah, the fish did. (laughs) But it was for Peter, right? So the disciples now come and they say, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You remember, Peter's a big shot. He's got a big mouth. He's always yak, 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 yak. If anybody's going to say something, Peter's going to be it. So what he does is he calls a child. The word here for child is one who is, uh, they're not even of school age. This is a little child. This, this was probably a toddler. Maybe in the house or around them, wherever they're sitting. And he calls this little child and he sits him in the midst of them. <coughs> and he says, truly I say to you in verse 3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself, there we find repentance. Because when a child comes and they ask for forgiveness, or you teach them to say, I apologize, or I'm sorry for my sin, or whatever, that child doesn't tend to remember that. They put it behind them, it's gone, we move on, right? So this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, you have to humble yourself like this child, and a person who is humble is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to talk about an oxymoron, all 12 of the disciples are probably going, huh? How can you be a humble great? I don't get this. So Jesus says, well, let me explain a little bit further. So in this first section here, he again, he speaks about the child. Whoever receives the child in my name, it would better be better to have a great millstone fastened around his neck be drowned in the depth of the sea. The millstone probably weighed on average about 200 pounds. It was made out of stone. In other words, you're not coming up if you have this tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. And Jesus says, 
it would be better for that to happen to you than for you to even cause offense to a little child who doesn't even know any better. So, so, so you see what he's saying here? What he's actually addressing here is not just offense between adults. He's even saying that our responsibility and our relationship to a child should be one of humility. You know, the ones that you're teaching the most are the ones who are looking up to you and calling you mom and dad. So then he goes to the second, and he says, temptations to sin. This you can find in verse 7 through 9. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Again, looking back, each one of these things build on each other. What is the temptation to sin here? To cause an offense. And he says, woe to the one by whom the temptation or the offense comes. And he says, if your hand or your foot caused you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. He is not talking about you doing this literally. There are some who have believed that and have done that, who are not right in the head. Now, I didn't get the first one. I didn't get your notes of what, how you're breaking it down. Oh, sorry. 18 verses 1 through 5, or 1 through 6. Um, temptations would be verses 7 through 9. What was the first one? One through six. What is the word? Oh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, the humility of a child, or uh, humility in dealing with a child. Temptations to sin? Yes, Scott. To add on to what you just said, they're crazy in the head. I, I, however, uh, I believe this is perfectly illustrated with Thomas, I believe it was Thomas Grammer who recanted and then recanted his... Yep, put his hand. And I believe that that, I think that was probably ringing in his his ears probably as loudly as anything he had done because he realized the gravity of the situation to save his, phys to save his physical life in, in reference to his spiritual life or his spiritual uh, yep. future. Yep. And that, so that was, that was, I think that was to me the first time I ever heard that was this verse. It came to my mind that sometimes we make a mistake and that mistake can be deadly, but that is, I don't know, I, that one becomes emotional to me when I think about that. So. Yeah. That, that, that Thomas Cranmer, Thomas Cranmer basically rejected the message that he had been proclaiming and then he recants what he says and when he goes to be burned at the stake he actually put his fire into the or his his hand into the fire until it burned completely up i mean i can't imagine the pain that he must have been going through but to him that pain was nothing compared to the fact that he had rejected christ he had done worse than what peter did now when we're talking about offenses here by the way we're not talking about an oops. The words that are used here, these are deliberate offenses. Now sometimes, and I'll say this before we actually get into the section on the church, sometimes we run around and we have chips on our shoulders and they sit right out here and we're just daring somebody to open the door so the pressure in the building will change and knock it off. 
And you know, all we need to do is we need to bring that chip back up here and we need to get a 16 penny nail and we need to drive it in place so it doesn't move. The reason that we are often offended is because our hearts are not right with God to begin with. And that's actually the first step of discipline is disciplining ourselves. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. So he then speaks about the offenses. He talks about cutting your hand off, cutting your, cutting your, your uh, foot off, cutting your eye out. For it's better to be thrown into, the hell, uh, in, into uh, hell with one eye than it would be to have, or to enter life with one eye than it is to have two eyes and go into hell. And then he goes into the parable of the lost sheep. Now this is an interesting passage because I used to preach it a certain way. And there, there are, uh, it's one of those things that can be taken out of context. He is talking to believers here. And he says, see that you despise not one of these little ones. Which little ones is he talking about? Huh? The children. The children. Okay, he's still in the same passage here. Don't despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has gone, has a hundred sheep, one of them goes astray, nowhere in the scripture does God ever use the word sheep to refer to an unbeliever. It is always in reference to a believer. Always. Okay, so I believe that Jesus is speaking about believers in an offense here. In other words, he's building this up and he is telling them, essentially, you need to act in such a way that every person who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the humility that you are willing to treat them like a little child. In other words, you don't want to do anything to offend that little one. So that would be verses 10 to 14. This is the parable of the lost sheep. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now there's a little bit of a transition. And I believe what he is speaking about here is not 99 sheep and Jesus has to go find that one poor goat that's out there on the hill somewhere. I don't believe that. I believe that he is referring to someone who has been lost because of an offense or because of a temptation. We find this in Galatians 6. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. You see in the, transgre- or the, the progression here? And then he goes to verse 15. Again, he's dealing with somebody who has either been offended or who has caused an offense here, even towards a little one. And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to write this on the board for you. There are five steps of church discipline. Or five steps of discipline. Discipline basically is growth, discipleship. That's the way you need to look at the word discipline. Discipline is not we're looking for somebody and we don't like them, so we're going to do whatever we have to to be able to kick them out of the church. That's excommunication. It comes from a Latin term. means to be completely removed, to be cast away. That is not a biblical term. Okay? So here's the five steps. Real quick. Number one, self. 
Most problems in church would be resolved if self was disciplined. If I'm learning to have a right relationship with God, I am going to be doing my dead level best to make sure that I am not offending one of Christ's, hear this, one of Christ's little ones. See the connection? In other words, I need to be living my life in such a way that I am not causing offense, not because you're all little or immature or anything like that. That's not the reference here. The reference is simply in regards to offenses. I can be a little child as well. I need to be treated in the same way as the pastor or the elders or the teachers or the music people or whoever, all treated in such a way that we are not causing offense. Remember, and I've said this before and I got it from somewhere else, there is no offense that is given if none is taken. Think about that. No offense is given if none is taken. In other words, we need to be very careful that we're not just looking for something to take offense. Remember the chip on the shoulder? So that's the first step, self-discipline. And I believe that we can see that. We've already looked at Psalm 51. The second step of church discipline, again, we're in verses here in this section. This would be verses 15 through 20. Here's the first or the second step. Self-discipline, if that doesn't work and there is an offense that is caused, it is one on one. I offend you or you offend me. I come to you. Now, we, we live in a pretty sorry day and age where we cannot, as adults, sometimes actually address one another the way that God requires and demands from us to address one another. And it's a shame that it's easier to pick up a phone and talk with somebody else than it is to actually talk with the person who's actually caused the offense. But that really is the way it should be done, one-on-one. -on -one. And again, did I really cause that offense? So if, if we're joking around and somebody throws out, well, you know, our pastor is short and bald and fat and whatever else you want to say, I, I can choose to be offended at that and let that really eat my lunch or I can just let it blow over my head and I really don't care. Because in the light of eternity, is it really a big deal? It really isn't. Okay? But let's say there's actually an offense that has been caused. You see me say something, do something whatever, that is not in line with the command that God has given to me, and that is be holy, for I am holy. And it is something that, has, that is really eating you up. And you know that, that I, as your pastor, as well as a brother in Christ, that this is something that should be addressed. The best way to do this is to come and talk to me. This is one-on-one. -on -one. So let's say this happens. And Sam and I are dealing with an issue, and Sam comes and he says, he says, Brother Mark, he says, I know you're my pastor and, and you're a friend and you're a brother in Christ, but there's something, and I just want to make sure you're giving that person the benefit of the doubt. Remember, we're seeking not to cause an offense, not just looking at other people's offenses. So we look at this offense and, and he comes and he says, I thought I heard you or saw you do or whatever. And I say, well, this is actually what happens. He's given me an opportunity to be able to address this. I address it, and he says he's got one of two choices now. Oh, I see. Well, the, you know, this has been weighing on my mind for the last week or so. I haven't talked with anybody else about this, but I understand there's no offense. I just want to say that I wanted to address this with you. 
Thank you for sharing. Let's pray about this. Make sure that we are careful in this particular area, whatever it is. It's left at the cross, and we both move on as brothers united and reconciled. That's step one. The level of discipline and the level of involvement is based on the knowledge of the offense. For example, all of the church is standing down on a street corner down in downtown Cheyenne, and the door to a bar opens and Pastor Mark stumbles out and he has clearly had one too many Diet Pepsis. <laughs> or whatever it is, okay? What have I done? Is this a one-on-one -on -one discipline issue now? No. no. It is a public offense and it goes to that level immediately. There is no there is no one-on-one -on -one anymore. There's no taking two or three witnesses at this point. That's the second step. Or the third step. Third step is two or three witnesses. Again, let me break this down for you. This is not two or three people that you get on the phone after you've talked to nine or ten other people to find out if you've got two or three people on your side. This is taking two or three impartial witnesses, people who are spiritual in nature, who will be willing to listen to both sides of the story. Let's take the same situation with Sam. Sam comes to me, he addresses the issue, and I say, well, you can think whatever you want to. I'm the pastor. Who are you, who are you to even come and talk to me about this? Now, what have I just done? You closed it off. You didn't get the opportunity at okay. all. Okay, I've closed it off. No opportunity. What else have I done? I have failed to be humble, and I have therefore offended, so therefore it would be better for me to have a millstone throw around, thrown around my neck and cast into the sea because I have offended one of Christ's little ones. So this is where Sam goes, and he calls up two people. It may be the elders of the church. And they say, listen, I talked with Pastor Mark. I want you to come and hear both sides of the story. It's possible, <clears throat> hear me clearly, it's possible that I might have misunderstood him, misunderstood him or he may have misunderstood me. Would you please come and be a biblical witness so that once we have both presented our sides, you then can take the scriptures and show us whether we're wrong or whether there is some kind, some kind of remedy or what remedy needs to take place. Everybody with me still? So Sam gets two people. They come and talk to me. They sit down. We're sitting at a table. Sam shares his side. I share my side. And we look at the two witnesses. And the two witnesses say, yes, Pastor Mark, we believe that biblically you are wrong. You committed an offense. And we believe that the way to make this right is to seek forgiveness from the Lord and then to seek forgiveness from your brother Sam in order to be reconciled. We haven't had a church meeting. It's just two witnesses. Now Mark's got a, a choice of what he's going to do. Mark can say the same thing that he told Sam in the first place. By the way, there's no time limit on this. It, it could stretch out over a couple of months. Sam could come back to me a month later, a week later, two weeks later, until he realizes that there's no more opportunity to be able to deal with me one-on-one. -on -one. Now he's going to involve, involve the witnesses. So Sam is sitting there, and I look at him, and I say, Listen, Sam's only, I don't know, he looks 18. <laughs> he's no I'm kidding he's tw he's like 24 25 and so I say who, who does he think he is I mean after all I'm I'm like 39 plus 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 
and I've got a lot more years of experience, and I'm in the ministry. He's never been in the ministry. What does he know? I think it's an offense to me that he actually came and bothered to talk to me. Again, now what have I done? First and foremost, and what else? Sam. Sam? One of his little ones, and who else? The witnesses. You see, now it's gone to a third level. We're going to get to that. Okay. That's a very good question. You can't just say it takes time. No, no, no. You need to take care of it right away. But what we should do and what we actually do sometimes are not the same thing. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and when you come to the table, you will notice, and some of you here know this already, when when we give out the Lord's table, if if I'm standing at the front and I'm actually... Uh, I'm actually um, What's the word? I'm consuming. No, pers- uh, I'm 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 um, partaking. No, not partaking, but I'm 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 over the I'm officiating okay. the table of the Lord. There's another word, and I can't think of it right now. Sure. But I'm officiating at the table of the Lord. I do not look around to see who partakes and who doesn't. I see. Okay. okay? I because I believe at that point I have given the admonition. I believe it is then up to each individual person to partake or not partake. But if you That's true. So if, let's say, they see you, yep. okay. Yep. Well, that I, I think that's why the thing does say, do not take it in an unworthy manner. And I think it's, I think it's fully acceptable <coughs> set, set a time okay. to not partake for months. Okay. Or I, I think it's, it's honest. It's, I think it's an honest reaction to that to say things aren't right. Okay. And because they're not right, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go forward with this. And I'm trying, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna let some time resolve this because we are dealing with men's hearts too when yeah. we deal with yep. conflicts right. on our own. Right. So I think that's I think where it's when he says you know or well it, it's not what he says it's what the scripture says. Yep. I'm not taking an unworthy manner, right. and I believe that really qualifies that unworthy manner side of things. Right. Here, here's the thing, though. Nobody is nobody is 100% perfect. Nobody is without sin. And we come based on our worthiness as found in Jesus Christ. So it, it, it may be, and there are multiple situations. We won't have time to cover it all today. There may be situations where maybe you've held an offense or you've been offended at somebody or there's bitterness or anger or hostility that is built up in your heart for years and that person passes away. What do you do then? Would you never, ever be able to partake of the Lord's table again? No, I, I don't believe that's the case. So again, there's there's multiple reasons or multiple things that we're dealing with here. And that's actually going to be covered in forgiveness. Okay? So, <coughs> yes, Sam. So, uh, step to discipline. What, what do we do in uh, sins done in secret? Do we go and apologize to a brother for gossiping about him or thinking ill about him? So... I personally see in Scripture that 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 the sin is resolved at the level to which it is performed. So, for example, if 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 I think if I think I'm going to use just a crazy example here. Okay, so 
my dad comes in, and we do look an awful lot alike for some reason. And he comes in, and I realize mom has cut his hair. And I think, why does he have to keep cutting his hair like me? And I've had a bad day, I've had a bad week, bad month, or whatever, and I let that really get under my skin. And every time I see, see my dad's shaved head, all I see is me. So I don't tell anybody about it, though, but I let it eat me up. It will always come to fruition one way or the other. It'll either be dealt with because I refuse any longer to allow that sin, that offense, to actually bother me and I give it over to the Lord. If that's the way he wants to cut his hair, that is fine between him and God. Or it's going to reflect in the way that I see him, shake hands with him, avoid him at church, ignore him, don't come to church one Sunday. It's going to play out one way or the other because the heart is going to be deceitful at all times. So Mike. At that point, when you just brought up, the correct answer is one, self. Yep. Deal with God and you and your heart right away to correct a relationship that you may perceive that's your problem with yep. somebody else. You are spot on. I, and I wish more people saw this in churches today. Because again, I go back to what I first said. If 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 we are dealing with if we are dealing with self, most of the problems in churches would go away. Here's the fourth step. Sam comes, I am now offending him. I've offended the witnesses. He 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 even at this point still has the responsibility. He could go and get two different witnesses. And say, can you come with me so that we make sure? Because those two, those two may have liked Mark. They may not have liked Mark, whatever. And so, again, we are not specified in Scripture what's going to happen here. So, again, there could be a period of time, even though there's not supposed to be, because the Bible is actually clear in Ephesians chapter 4, let not the sun go down on your wrath. So if we're being holy, striving to live holy lives, we're going to take care of it that day. Okay? But the question is, what do we do if we don't? That's what we're dealing with here. So <coughs> Sam and the witnesses make a determination that this is not just a slight offense. This is really an offense whereby Mark's continued attitude is, is offending Christ. It is offending the testimony of the church. It is offending his own testimony as a believer in Christ. So we need now, now need to take this to the fourth step. Okay. Here's the fourth step. Take it to the church. Now, I believe that this is done in two ways. Number one, you take it to the elders. They are responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church. And then you take it to the congregation. Should this person not hear the elders? Now, if he's already gotten the elders and the elders have come and talked to me and it's my dad and brother Jeff and they come and talk to me and I refuse to heed them and I've got an arrogant attitude and all I'm doing is committing more offenses and I'm not listening, <coughs> essentially what we've done is we've incorporated 3 and 4A because the elders are already involved now. Okay? So if the elders were not involved, and he goes and he says, okay, let me go talk to the elders. We've tried to deal with this. I've taken Mike and Ryan. We've gone and talked to Mark. Mark's not listening. Sam says, let's get the elders involved. So he goes and gets Jeff and my dad, and they come and sit down, and I still have the same attitude, but this time I have doubled down. You are not telling me what to do. I'm the pastor. 
And unfortunately, a lot of pastors have that dictatorial perspective of ministry. They're not a servant. So the elders come and I refuse to listen to the elders. It's brought before the congregation. Now this does not mean that we stand up and we go over three or four hours worth of material that we have covered over the last month, two weeks, ten days, whatever it may be. It is simply, we, the elders, one of the elders stands up and says to the entire congregation, this is what has happened. We have addressed the sin. There's, an, there's a sin that has been caused by the pastor and it has not been rectified. He continues to abide by the sin and he's not seeking repentance. We have a responsibility to notify you as a church. Now, if they're doing their job, what do you think they're going to do for me as far as I'm concerned? They should be stopping me from what? Preaching. Preaching. Okay? So... They've addressed it with the congregation. You as a congregation need to be praying and encouraging and exhorting Brother Mark that he will repent. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If it ever got to that point with me, I guarantee you, you probably won't see hide nor hair of me in church. I will have already been long gone. Well, it's 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 not just embarrassing. It's because the lack of humility to the begin with has now ratcheted up to now the entire church knows that I have been unrepentant. Again, it's the level of involvement at the level of the knowledge. Okay, so the congregation now knows the basics of the information. They then approach the congregation and they say the pastor refuses to repent. Again, this could be a period of time. It could be. If I'm not in church, I've stepped down or I've been asked to be removed or he, I've been removed. Uh, the, the church may then say, well, we're going to give him two weeks or next month or whatever. And during that time, there's one of two things that happen. Most people in the church continue being friends with Mark and going out for a coffee and never calling him to repentance because they don't want to offend their friend. Or they're going to say, because I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ, Mark, please repent. Most people don't do that. It's just the pastor's problem or the elder's problem or the deacon's problem. No, no, no. It is the whole church's problem. Okay? The final step of discipline. And more. Yes. The problem is people... Most people in that kind of situation, they would rather have, they would rather maintain the friendship of others than to have a right relationship with the Lord and with His church. Yep. With, with sin, you're with sin, you're basically loving them straight to hell. Yeah. That's the I, actually my point too was the idea of discipline. It's not punitive. This is not. No. This is not punishment. This is to disciple, to bring back, to create harmony again. Because some of the strongest relationships I've ever had have been through very great conflict where we have had to sit down and realistically forgive one another. Yep. And because of that strength, I count, you know, I, I go to a story of, of someone I was exceptionally angry with and through working together, I will count him a friend forever because our strength is so much different than just passing friendships. We had to work through something. We went through, we, we got to one-on-one. -on -one. We didn't have to go any further, but the 
goal here is restoration. Yes, always, always, Not always. Just, you sinned, you're unrepentant, you're out. No. It's, we want you back. We want your mind right. We want your heart right. We want your relationship restored. I really appreciate the questions and the comments <clears throat> because this is actually going to help us when we deal with what biblical forgiveness is next in one of our next sessions. But here's step number five. Treat them as an unbeliever. So here's the final step. Pastor Mark is no longer the pastor, but he refuses to listen. He's living out, living debauched lifestyle, whatever is going on in his life, and he refuses to repent. We've gone through all of the steps, and now we're at step five. The elders have a responsibility to stand before the church. This is not a church vote. Okay? We're not casting the spiritual responsibility on a congregation, some of whom may not even have even wanted to be involved. All they wanted to do was to be friends with Mark. Okay? So biblically, I believe what we're dealing with here is the congregation is informed by the elders. We are removing Mark from the membership. We are turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. At no point is somebody in Scripture, at no point in the New Testament will you ever find that somebody who is a true believer was ever called an unbeliever. That's important. They are to be treated as if they are an unbeliever. What is the difference between that and excommunication? Excommunication is for the purposes of casting away with step five in biblical church discipline, there's still the intention of restoration. Excommunication doesn't do that. So the church removes me from membership. They continue to pray for me. They don't invite you, you. You as a church would have a responsibility not to invite me over for dinner, for coffee, for tea at that time in order to be able to just pretend like nothing's ever happened as though I've never sinned. No, the responsibility is that if you meet up with me, you can meet up for coffee, we can meet up for dinner, but you have to be in, you have to let me know to begin with. The reason we're getting together is for me to encourage you to make things right with God, with the church, with Sam, with the witnesses, with the elders, so that that biblical fellowship can be restored between you and God and the rest of the people you've offended. And so when that takes place, and you can think of the ramifications of what this would do in church if we actually practice biblically. You know what happened in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira? The Bible says that fear came upon the unbelievers so that they did not dare join themselves to the members of the way. Because they were afraid that God would treat them that way if they weren't doing it right. In other words, it was only believers who came. It was only believers who were allowed to join. <coughs> so now let's, because we're, we're way out of time, at any point, 
if Mark repents of his sin and he confesses that sin and he acknowledges that sin, not just a, oh, I'm sorry you got offended, Sam. No, I clearly offended you. I offended the witnesses. I, I caused an offense. I lacked humility in the way that I treated you. I treated you not like a little one of Christ. Please forgive me. And by forgiveness, that means that we are seeking for that forgiveness. And forgiveness means two things. Number one, it means that we are repenting based on and we are seeking a change of heart, life, and mind in the way that we are going to respond to Sam now. Does that mean we'll never sin against Sam again? No. Because it might be something else. It could be that Sam's actually a baby Christian or an immature Christian and something else that I say might offend him. But as he grows, he's going to learn how to deal with those in different ways. But the second thing is this. Forgiveness means that you're forgiven. It's left at the foot of the cross and I'm not going to throw it up in your face again. That means next time Sam comes to me, Sam has no right to come to me and say, well, you know, Mark, you know that issue that we dealt with like three and a half, three and a half, four, four and a half years ago, something like that. Listen, you know, I see you're doing something else and, and I knew this was going to happen. Well, why did you know it was going to happen, Sam? Well, because three and a half years ago you did this. Well, Sam, wait a minute. Biblically, that's under the cross. That's been for. For, that's been forgiven by God and by you and in front of the witnesses and in front of the congregation, we're not bringing this up again. Right. Now, if you've got another offense, and that's where the rest of the story comes in, Paul Harvey. And just to sum everything up, look at the last verses in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus Christ gives a parable, and he says in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? Peter says, nope. Rabbinical law says three times and then you could slug them. Peter says, no, I'll double it, add one more for good measure. Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. They've already got their sandals off their hot, sweaty feet and Paul's or Peter's trying to do multiplication on everybody's toes. 490 times, my... I'll never remember 490 times. Peter, that's the point. The point is you treat each offense as though it's the first offense. Because the rest of them have been forgiven. And so this is what Jesus is saying with the parable of the unforgiving servant. He says here, he, he says the first one ordered owed 10,000 talents. In today's money, that was a, that'd be about $3.6 million dollars. The other one only owed 100 pennies. That was 100 days worth of 12-hour hard-working days. It was achievable. And what Jesus is saying is this. The person who has the greater offense should be the one who is willing to forgive most. And if you question whether you can forgive somebody for what they've said or done or acted or whatever that has happened at any point in your life, Think about what Jesus Christ forgave you of and then go to the foot of the cross. Forgive that person and move on. That doesn't mean that we forget. I may never, if I, this, this, this session played out between us, I may never be a pastor again. 
But if we're doing things biblically and I seek forgiveness, I should be welcomed back into the congregation as a repentant member who is sitting under the preaching and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, learning how to treat my brother like a little one of Christ. Sam? How much is it strikes? This whole session really strikes home very hard. And uh, I'm not going to get into particulars. But the situations we had in the past, they basically went step two to three right up, well, really it went to three right off the bat, is what happened in the past. And it still rears its head. Sure. Because they're in contact with people they perceive are vulnerable within yeah. our community and are reaching out. You've seen it. I know you've experienced it personally. Yeah. By the way, they actually went down here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, because they, they, they chose right to make it public. There. Yeah, they went right down there. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I see it rearing its head. And I actually ran into one of the people, well, actually pulled in my driveway, and she pulled up to return something. And uh, obviously it was to check the climate. I knew that, to check the climate, to see if, oh, I'll just go along and be friends and come up and have dinner and do things like that. And right away I'm like, oh, no. And, I, and I'm just saying this as believers in our church, more people need to follow this because it is dangerous yeah. to uh, oblige the one that you ch on step five. It is dangerous because what you said, um, Scott, you're loving them to hell by not treating them appropriately. And the first thing out of this person's mouth was, oh, I miss you guys so much. I says, you know, I do love you, Carol. Gave her a hug. Sorry, I said the name. <laughs> and uh, I says, if you miss us, come back to church. Basically, she knew it meant repent and come back. Because right away she cowered and said, oh, no, no, no. And I knew, and, and that's important because they're reaching out to my spouse. Yep. And I have to be able to decisively have language to say, this is why I can't. And, and we don't do those things because we hate them. No. It should always be reconciliation, restoration, full biblical restoration. Mm -hmm. hold, hold on just a second. Sam, Sam first and then... Well, in Romans tells us like, all these things that one brother or sister can do against another, we're all just as capable. So in that, like, if we can't we can, uh, try to seek for those who are, you know, not repentant to talk to them and allow them to give them the opportunity to repent, then we're not really being very uh, loving to begin with if we just close them off immediately. It's like, you know, we could share in that groaning, you know, we all sin against God and we're all yep. in Adam in that sense. But... And that's, that's the difference between excommunication, just cutting them off and casting them away. Versus trying to restore them. Go ahead, Scott. The word up there, context, please, for me. Because I don't have control of the whiteboard, I'll just have to do it. Yep. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. 
are yeah. generally pulled out of context, kicking and screaming, but this really goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. Truly I say to you, whoever bind, whoever, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is the church. This is where we agree on something. We've already gone to church. We've already gone to, to number four. Now Christ is there in that. This whole decision-making process is there. This has nothing to do with when two or three people together, we're a church now. It has everything to do with church discipline. These three verses have nothing to do with 99% of the people that talk about this verse. It has to do with this. This is our reassurance that Christ is with us. That Christ is here in this decision and is forming this whole portion of discipline that we are to be what? Christ-like. Within that point, when we look at this, we are reminded there will always be conflict. How are we handling that? When we handle it correctly, our relationships are restored, our relationships are strengthened, and the church is strengthened. Absolutely. It is bound on earth, it would be bound in heaven. Yep. What's loosed on earth was loosed in heaven. This has to do with how we handle those four steps. Five. Yep. And most books you read will say there's four steps of discipline, but they actually all just about all preface it. Jay Adams does it as well. They preface it by saying self-discipline. But I believe it's part of that. That's why I call it five steps. Well, thank you for your attention today. I know we went longer, to, but we've covered a lot of ground. I, I know you probably feel like you got hit with a fire hose today. Um, but I hope that this is encouraging. Um, it's teaching like this that changes us to be more like Christ and grows us as a church. And um, I pray that it will do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time of fellowship today, for the teaching. Thank you for helping me and and sharing your word. And I pray that I've been faithful in everything that I have said today. Thank you for those who are here and for those who weren't able to make it, that as they listen to this the recordings, that they also will be encouraged and challenged in their Christian walk. We ask that you would be with us tomorrow in the services. May you be glorified in every aspect. In Jesus' name, amen.